What's up? I'm doing good. I'm doing real good. Uh, I hope that all you did have a great Christmas, and I know some of you have family here today. Glad to have you folks from out of town visiting and all that kind of stuff. And um, if you've been here longer than three or four days and you're visiting out of town, don't be offended, but they're probably about ready for you to leave. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I have no idea. I haven't talked to any of the folks like that. Um, Andy, I'm not trying to get you in trouble. I'm just messing around up here. I really haven't talked to Andy about y'all at all. Um, anyway, hey, uh, really glad y'all are here today. We're, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but over the next few days, there's going to be a lot of college football on TV um, because of the fact now that there are like 700 bowls and every college team makes a bowl now. Uh, there's going to be bowl games on every night. You know, I grew up when you had like seven basic bowls and then you had like the blue bonnet bowl and some of that kind of stuff and now you've got like the Poulan weed eater bowl and all just kind of you know my team's going to a, a bowl named after a delivery pizza place so it can't be that prestigious but uh, there's gonna be a lot of college football tv uh, on tv and and um if and I know some of you you like you talk about Cliff you talk about sports a lot and use sports analogies a lot and not everybody likes sports so I'm going to explain this to where everybody can understand it in football there's a position called the receiver okay now even if you've never watched football what can you imagine that that person is supposed to do he's supposed to receive something right and so what the receiver is supposed to do is he's going to receive the ball that's thrown by someone and that person is called usually called the quarterback and the receiver is going to receive that ball. Now, in order to be a great receiver, it helps if you have a couple of like natural abilities. Like one of them is if you're tall. That really helps. If you're 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", goes a long way in helping you be a good receiver. The other natural ability that you can't really do anything about but you're kind of born with is if you're fast or not. And I know some of you are like, hey, you can train yourself to be fast. I tried it my whole life till I was like 17, and I never trained myself to be fast. So you're just born with that kind of stuff. And uh, now you might can train yourself to be faster, but you can't train yourself to be fast. But it, so it helps if you're a receiver, if you're tall and if you're fast. And so you've got guys, some guys that are both of those, like maybe like Randy Moss, who is tall and fast, and he's this amazing receiver because he's got these natural skills and abilities. But if you talk to football coaches and people who watch a lot of football who think they're good enough to be a football coach and that kind of stuff, you'll find out that there's another a trait that really is almost just as good at making you a great receiver as being tall or fast. And that is if you can learn how to get yourself in a position to receive. Really good wide receivers in the NFL or in college or even in high school, one of the ways they get to be good is they'll run the correct route and they'll get themselves in a position to receive. And as a matter of fact, you can be a short, kind of slow guy and still have a great career if you can learn how to get yourself in a position to receive. For example, there's a guy that plays for the New England Patriots named Wes Welker, and he's on the same team as Randy Moss. Wes Welker is five foot eleven. That's like me. Actually, he's a little bit taller than me. And he's not fast, right? And you think, well, he's kind of fast. Believe me, he's not the fastest guy on the field. And he catches tons of passes every year. And one of the reasons why is he has learned how to get himself into a position 
to receive. And so what I want us to talk about today is there are certain things that we can do that will get us in a position to receive the blessings that God wants to give us. The blessings that God wants to pour out on us. And there are certain things we can do that will get us in the best position to be able to understand what those are and to be able to receive those. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings. And 2 Kings is in the Old Testament. That's the first part of the Bible. And it's after there's like 1 and 2 Samuel, then 1 and 2 Kings, then 1 and 2 Chronicles. So if you see any of those, you're kind of in the right area. 2 Kings chapter 4, and I'm going to read some verses before I read those while you're looking for 2 Kings. Um, let me give you just a little history of what 2 Kings is about. In, uh, in the Bible, you know there was the, uh, the, the nation of Israel, and that was God's chosen people. And they wanted to have a king, and God didn't really want them to have a king, but he gave them a king. And, and so they had a couple of kings, and David was a good king, and, and he was a famous guy that you've heard of. And then David had a son named Solomon. He was another very wise king, and, and, uh, and then towards the end of his life, he, he started to turn away from God a little bit, but he was still overall a very good king. Well, when Solomon died, he had a son that took over, and this son decided, I'm going to do things the way I want to do it. I'm not going to listen to the advice of these guys that, that were my father's advisors who were very wise. I'm going to listen to my young friends who I just graduated from college with that think they know it all, and I'm going to do things the way they say. And because of that, and, and it basically it doesn't say just graduated from college, but it really does say in the Bible, he listened to the young people's advice and rejected the old wisdom that, uh, that had been passed down to, from his dad. And because of that, the kingdom of Israel split into two different countries. And so now you had Judah and you had Israel. These two different, they were one people, the people of God. Now they're split into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And so as you read through First and Second Kings, through this whole two books, it begins to trace the history of the people that were the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. And it'll have a couple chapters about this guy and he was king for 40 years and another chapter about this guy from Judah and he was king maybe for eight or nine years. And it'll go through this whole history. But as you read through First and Second Kings, and it gets, actually when you read it, it gets... It's kind of a little tedious and like you're reading history and you're trying to keep up with, you can't remember who's the king of what. But throughout that, there are these stories of these prophets of God. And while the kingdoms are being built and falling and, and kings are being put in place, it's almost like God is saying, yeah, there was some political stuff going on over here, but God was still at work. And he was at work through these prophets. And one guy who's very famous that you've heard of, his name was Elijah. And throughout the book of 1 Kings, it talks about Elijah and all these great things that Elijah did. And then after Elijah, he had a guy who he had kind of mentored and trained how to be a prophet. And the Spirit of God was on this guy. And this guy who came after Elijah was named Elisha. All right, so you kind of get these two guys mixed up. But Elisha was the one who came after Elijah. And Elisha was also extremely uh, under the power of God and would do these miracles and do things to help people. And so what we're going to read about right now in 2 Kings chapter 4 is a story about something Elisha did. And it's, and it's just proof again that while people thought that what everything was going on that was important had to do with politics and kingdom building and who was the king, God was still at work in the lives of individuals. And this is not the message for today, but just remember this. I want to just kind of throw this in. If you're upset about something Congress has done, or who's president, or whether health care was good or bad, or all that kind of stuff, remember, God is still at work. 
in the lives of individuals every day. And it doesn't matter what's going on in Washington, D.C., and that has not taken God by surprise. God still wants to be at work in your life. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how in the middle of all this kingdom building, God was doing work in the lives of a poor widow whom nobody else, whose society wouldn't have even have cared about. Second Kings chapter 4, follow along while I read these first seven verses. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. The company of the prophets, there were these guys, so it's not only Elisha was not only the only prophet, there were all these guys, they were prophets together, and this guy had died. And, uh, and so she's coming to Elisha. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. That was a common practice in those days. If you owed somebody money and you couldn't pay it and you had kids, they would say, those are healthy kids. We'll take them and they'll be our slaves until you can pay the money off or we'll keep them for a certain amount of time until we think it's enough to, uh, to make up for what you didn't pay us. Aren't you glad that doesn't happen today? Some of you got a lot of credit card debt. Or maybe some of you are thinking, I would run my credit card up if they'd get these kids out of the house. I don't know. <laughs> Whichever one that you're thinking about. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and and as each jar is filled... Put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. I think there's a few things that we can learn from this passage of Scripture. And the first one is this. God will often use what you already have. God will often use what you already have. If you want to be blessed by God, if you want to understand who He is and you want to receive these blessings that He has to give you, one of the things that we need to learn is oftentimes God will use something that you already have in your possession, something that's already a part of your life. He will use that thing to bless you. Now, understand this. God can do whatever He wants, and God can bless you completely out of nothingness, okay? You you can pray, and God can make stuff appear out of the sky and drop down on your head if He wants to. God has already proven that He can create things out of nothing. That's the whole idea of creation, you know? There was nothing here, and then God spoke it into existence just by His very Word. He wasn't working with things that were already here, and, and things didn't crawl out of the ocean and all that kind of stuff. There was nothing, and God spoke it, and then it was there. So if God wants, there, there's an old joke, and uh, I, this is off track, but I just thought about it. There's this old joke where, uh, where these scientists said, hey, you know, we don't need God anymore. We can create everything. You know, we've got DNA things, and we can clone sheep and all that stuff, and we, there's no need for God anymore in the world because we can take a handful of dirt, and we can create a human being out of this dirt. And God looked down and said, you're going to have to get your own dirt for that uh, job. Because, see, that's the thing. We, yeah, we can clone something and we can make something, but the DNA is already there. Guess who invented DNA and created that? God did. So God can create something out of nothing. He's already proven that. But oftentimes in our lives, 
instead of creating something out of nothing, and instead of just dropping things out of the sky that weren't there before, oftentimes God will bless you by using something that you already have in your possession. Look at verse 2 of 2 Kings 4. So the lady comes and says, hey, I need some money. And look at the first thing Elisha says. He says, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? Now again, God's a big God. Elisha, I totally believe that if Elisha had wanted to, he could have prayed and said, God, create money that will fall into this lady's lap out of the air, and that could have happened. But instead, God wanted to bless her based on something she already had in her life. And he said, what do you have in your house? And so he uses these little bit of resources she had, which in her case was just a small bit of oil. And in those days, oil was a very important thing because it was used to cook and it was used for all kinds of other things, and it was a commodity. And so it was something that she could sell and get some money for. And you see that in, I want you to look in the book of Exodus. In uh, Exodus chapter 4, there's another instance in the Bible where God does the same thing, where he uses what someone already has. This is, God has called Moses, and he said, I want you to go to Israel, I mean, go to Egypt, and I want you to free my people. And Moses begins to make these excuses about why he can't do that. And God, listen to what God says. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Once again, what do you already got? What, what, do you, what is in your possession? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. And if you are familiar with the story of Moses, if you've read any of that, one of the things you will remember is that Throughout the story of Moses, he would use that staff. He would stick the staff in the Red Sea and the sea would part. He would use that staff to do all kinds of things. And God used something that he already had in his possession. What did, what did uh, Elisha say to the lady in verse 2? What do you have in your house? God looks at Moses. What do you have in your hand? Oftentimes, God wants to bless you with something that you already have. It's a talent that you've got. It's some, a material thing that's in your possession. It's a relationship that you're already involved in. In some ways, oftentimes, God will bless you through those things, and God will do miracles through those things with something that He has already given you. Now, the second thing I think we can learn from this passage that's very important is this. Unusual blessings follow unusual behavior. I want to say that again. Unusual blessings follow unusual behavior look at verses three through five of second kings four elisha said go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars don't ask for just a few then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled put it to one side she left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring now it's not normal behavior to collect up a bunch of jars to pour oil into that you don't have. That's not normal behavior. That is unusual behavior. And I think that if we, I think we as American Christians, American followers of Jesus, American church people, I think one of the things we need to begin to remember and to live by is the fact that unusual blessings will follow unusual behavior. Because so many times I think, 
that us in America, we want to be just like everybody else and we don't want to stand out and we don't want to be different. We're tired of being the weirdos and we want Larry King and Keith Overman and Bill O'Reilly and whoever else, we want them to say that Jesus is important and Jesus is is the best and all this kind of stuff. And they're not going to say that because they don't understand what the Bible teaches. And we need to quit worrying about standing out and being different and we need to get used to the fact that we're going to be unusual if we follow Jesus. We're going to have to engage in some unusual behavior. In fact, when you read through the Bible, the Bible is full of unusual, weird commandments that we're supposed to do. For instance, what does the Bible say about sex? Anybody know what the Bible says about sex? I'll tell you what the Bible says about sex. Don't do it unless you're married and you're only supposed to do it with one person. That's it. Now, that seems normal to you if you grew up in church. You know what that seems like to everybody else? That seems like the weirdest thing they've ever heard about. Because everyone in society believes, hey, we'll just live together and we'll have sex with each other for three or four years and we don't like each other, we'll move on. And Hey, that person looks good at work. I'll try to hook up with them this weekend. And, oh, we went on a date? Well, we're supposed to have sex after the first, second, or third date. That's the way it is. And it does nothing to do with marriage. But the Bible says that you're only supposed to have sex with one person. Unusual. It's very unusual in society. What does the Bible say about dealing with relationships? The Bible says that if someone does something wrong to you, they talk about you behind your back, they, they deceive you, they even physically harm you, you know what we're supposed to do? Forgive them. We're not supposed to retaliate. Someone cusses at you, you're not supposed to cuss back at them. Someone hits you, you're not supposed to hit them back. Oh, wait a minute, Cliff. Jesus said it. Turn the other cheek. Someone kills someone in your family? You're not supposed to pray that they die and be happy to go to the execution. We're supposed to forgive. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, is that unusual? Yeah. Can I do that all the time? No. Why? Because it's unusual. It's weird. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to get used to doing some unusual things. And we're going to have to understand the fact that unusual blessings will follow this unusual behavior. What does the Bible say about money? The Bible says about money to give away as much as you can and live a modest life. Is that unusual to the rest of America? Absolutely. Everything in the Bible Almost every command is unusual. As a matter of fact, I would say that almost everything God commands through Scripture is weird when you compare it to the rest of society. They're going to think you're a weirdo. You only have sex with one person? You're giving away all your money and you're living in a small house when you make a bunch of money? You're forgiving that guy when he's treating you like that? You're weird. You are, I don't understand you. But unusual blessings will follow unusual behavior. And here's the thing. What we want as Christians, oftentimes, is we want to live however we want to live. That person looks good, I'll sleep with them. Uh, that, that person did me wrong, I'll do all I can to make their life miserable and treat them bad. That's the way we want to live. And then we want to receive all these blessings of God. We should not be able to live like that and expect to be close to God, expect to have peace, expect to find fulfillment in our jobs and relationships any more than this lady in this story should have collected one jar and expected to get a lot of oil. What did God say to her? Elisha told her, collect a bunch of jars. And she was probably thinking, this is weird, I don't have anything to pour in them. Collect a bunch of jars and start pouring the oil. And what did it say? The oil started to come. It was an unusual blessing that was preceded by some unusual behavior 
on her part. And I think the greatest part of the, one of the greatest parts about this story is look at what it says in verse 7. Look at how the blessings were. Verse 7 of 2 Kings 4 says, She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay for your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. What did she need money for at the beginning? All she needed was just enough money to save her kids. So if she owed this guy $10,000, that's what she needed. But what did God bless her with? She engaged in this unusual behavior, and God said, not only am I going to give you the $10,000 you need to save these kids, I'm also going to give you enough extra where you can live off of it, where you don't have to worry about this situation coming up again. And whatever it is that you're hoping to receive from God, if you will begin to live by what the Scripture says, and you will begin to do your best to read this and study this and know this and walk in this day after day after day, you will begin to find that not only are you receiving the blessings that you thought you wanted, but you're going to receive so much more than that. And you're also going to find out that maybe some of the things you thought you wanted you don't really want anymore, and you're going to start to get what you need instead, and you're going to be happy with what you need instead of being happy with what you thought you wanted. Because a lot of times what we think we need is not exactly what we need. And God will give us what we need instead. The blessings will go beyond what we need. And then the last point of this that's so simple, but I think we'll, we'll miss it if we're not careful, and that is this. God fills empty jars. God fills empty jars. Look at verse 6. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. It's a simple concept. As long as she had one more jar, there would be oil. If she'd have had 25 more empty jars there, there would have been enough oil to fill 25 more jars. But when the jars, there were no more jars there, when the empty jars were gone, the oil stopped. And I think in our lives, we need to remember that sometimes we can get full and there's nowhere else to put anything. Uh, we used to, we don't do this hardly any anymore, but we used to eat at all-you-can-eat places a good bit. Anybody eat at all-you-can-eat places? Um, listen, then, uh, and I, I'm, I've been there with you. Um, and then I realized one day, you shouldn't eat all you can eat. I mean, that's just not the way it should go. But, but I did for a long time. And, and, uh, but here's what I would do. We would go to Ryan's. Ryan's is the one I always think about. And, uh, and we'd go into Ryan's, and, man, I would just, and I'd feel like, okay, I paid $8 or whatever for this. i got to get my money's worth. So, and I know that, they, that, you know that pizza and that macaroni and cheese, they paid like you know, 20 bucks for 300 cases of it or something. So I really got to eat a lot to get my money's worth. And so, man, I'd be pouring it on, and I'd go, I'd go a whole plate, and then I'd go get another plate, and then I'd get a salad bowl and fill that up. And then, of course, you got to get ice cream. There's always room for that soft serve ice cream and all that kind of stuff. And I would walk out of there feeling like I wanted to throw up in the parking lot. I mean, just miserable, just t- feeling awful. And, and I would think sometimes myself, you know, I wish that I could eat more. I wish I was a cow with four stomachs, and you could just fill up stomach A and then flip a switch and divert everything to stomach B and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so, but, but the point was is that, that once I was full, there was nowhere else to put anything. No matter how hungry I was, no matter, you know, how much I had paid and thought, well, I haven't got my money's worth yet, once you were full, they were done. There was nothing else I could do. And they didn't let you take to-go bags because people would have ripped them off like crazy if they had done that. And so with, 
when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to receiving blessings of God, if there's nowhere to put the blessings, then God's not going to give the blessings. You might think, I want to be blessed. There's nothing I want more than that. But have you arranged your life and, and put your life in such a position to where now you can receive the blessings of God? For instance, if you think, I want to be blessed financially, if you're holding on with a closed fist with everything you've got and you're never giving anything away, chances are God's not going to continue to bless you financially because the jar is full. And until you begin to empty that jar, then He will begin to bless you some more financially. And it's not just with finances. That just seems to be the easiest way to explain it. It's with all kinds of things. Maybe you're thinking, I I don't hear God, and, and I'm not close to God, and I don't understand God, and all those kinds of things. But you can remember a time in your life where you were. And, and, and you, you, Think back on that and you think, well, I'm covered now because there was this time at this church service and I walked this aisle and I got baptized and everything was great then, so it must be still great from now on. And God's saying to you, listen, yeah, that was real. That was a good thing. But I want you to let go of that a little bit and open yourself up to what I have for you today. That was a great experience and it's a part of your history. But that is it. It was your history and now I've got something today I want you to do got something new for you. I've got a, a new challenge, a, a new relationship that I want you to begin with somebody, whatever it might be. And if we are full all the time and we're spiritually fat and happy, God's not going to be able to content what well, He can, but He's not going to bless you. God can bless you even if you're full. But the way the principle works and the way we see it throughout Scripture is that when we're empty, when we come to God and say, God, I'm nothing, I have nothing, I'm yours. That's when the blessings begin. When we, when we tend to hold on to what we've got and say, I want to collect all this stuff, whether it's finances or anything else, and I'm going to try to build up my own little kingdom right here, the blessings of God are going to be hindered in your life. But when we begin to open ourselves up, God will begin to bless because He blesses when we are empty jars. Several years ago, when I was youth pastor, we went to this uh, great camp, Centrifuge, this uh, amazing summer camp that we'd go to every year. And, and there was a night at Centrifuge. It was one of the, after one of the worship services, and we had church youth group devotion time. And, and uh, man, it was, we had a couple kids get saved that night. And we had kids that were calling home and talking to their parents that they'd been, you know, had a terrible relationship with. And I remember we had one guy that that, uh, he had hated his dad because his dad had left them and put the family in financial straits and all this stuff. And he hadn't spoken to his dad in over a year. And he was dealing with forgiveness issues and calling his dad and asking for, you know, his dad to forgive him for him hating him and all this kind of stuff. It was just this amazing night where God was doing all these things in teenagers' lives. And I remember I went and I laid down in the bed that night and I was praying before I went to sleep and I remember I said to God I said God you know this has been enough if it just stops tonight this would be the greatest you know centrifuge I've ever been to and it was almost like God said out loud to me now he didn't say it out loud but I heard it in my head like he was speaking out loud and he said well I can stop now if you want to but I got some other things I was planning to do the rest of the week and it was almost like I was thinking hey this is all this is enough I'm happy with this and God said wait a minute I got more I want to do and maybe that's the way it is in your life. You're, you're a follower of Christ. You're happy with that. You think, hey, this is good. I got, the, I got my family. I got, got my house. Everything seems to be good, and I'm just kind of cool with this. And God's saying, empty yourself out a little bit and see what I will do next. Because I've got even better stuff for you around the corner. But you've got to be empty. You've got to let go of some of this stuff and say, okay, God, I'm yours. And maybe you're here today. 
And you need to empty yourself of your pride. Because you've never accepted Christ. And you think that when, when this life ends, you're going to be able to stroll up to the gates of heaven and say, hey, uh, I started my own business and, and uh, I married this person and we stayed married a long time and I was good to, to little dogs and, and, uh, and old ladies and, and I coached little league ball and all this kind of stuff and that should get me in. And it's your pride that's going to stand in the way of you getting into heaven because the only thing that's going to get you in is if you say, I'm a hopeless sinner and it's only because of Jesus. When we sang um, the old hymn a while ago, Jesus Paid It All, that verse, I can hardly ever sing it without getting uh, teary-eyed. And, and the verse where it says, And when before the throne I stand in Him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. You've got to empty yourself of you and say, It's only through Jesus that I'll be forgiven. And if you haven't accepted Him, that's the first thing you need to empty. As we finish up, um, I don't know how many how many of you make New Year's resolutions. You're a, you every year you make them. You're a faithful resolution maker. Raise your hand if you are. Man, resolutions have really gone out of style, evidently. Really, there's only like four of you that make resolutions. Um, I, I I've gone through the run the gamut of resolutions. I've had years where I said I'm not going to make any resolutions because I always break them. I've had years where I've written them down and put them on my desk, you know, in a, in a see-through plexiglass thing so I could see them all the time. And then about July, I'm like, get those off of here. I hadn't done any of that stuff, you know, whatever. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I've run the gamut, all that stuff. But I still, every year, usually I make a couple resolutions because I have found that it helps me uh, to at least get more on the right track. And, and I, I haven't thought about what I'm going to resolve to do this year, but, and, and maybe you haven't either, but I would think one of the things that we all need to resolve to do as a church as followers of Christ, is we need to resolve to empty ourselves. We need to resolve to come before God in 2010 and say, God, I'm going to quit assuming I know what's next and I'm going to let you guide me and show me what's next. I'm going to quit assuming that I know exactly how everything's going to play out and I'm going to let you show me. Because I don't know about you, but 2009 was a pretty weird year for a lot of people. And there are some of you today that are out of work that weren't out of work this time last year. And there are some of you that were out of work this time last year that are still out of work and you thought for sure, I'll, be, I'll have a job by this time next year. And there are some of you that, that you lost retirement money that you, you're not probably going to get back. And, and there are some of you that, that you found out and you begin to admit that, okay, I'm addicted to something that you, this time last year you weren't admitting you were addicted to. Some of you that have relationships have blown up and, and friendships have died and all those kinds of things. And 2010 can be different, not because you're a better person, but if you say, God, I'm empty, and I want you to fill me. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I'm not going to lead you in a prayer today. I want you to pray for yourself. And if you are, need to ask Christ to forgive you for the first time, I want you to pray that. If you're already a follower of Christ and you know that there's some ways that you can be emptied of who you are and allow God to work in your life, I want you to pray about that. And I'm going to wait a few moments, which for some of you will feel like an eternity. And I want you to deal with God on your own and then I'll say amen at the end. And then after that, the band will come up and we'll sing our closing song. So pray, deal with God by yourself right now. Amen. All right, how many of y'all that felt like forever? It was one minute, by the way, just so you'll know.
Silence kills us sometimes on those kinds of things. Hey, glad you, so glad you came today. Everybody stand up. One of the things that I hope you will resolve to do in 2010 is invite people to come with you each week here to Freedom. If you think what we've got here is a good thing, then share it. Bring somebody with you. Um, they don't have to worry about what they wear. They can just show up. And uh, that's, that's kind of what we're all about. So invite someone to come with you starting next week. We're going to begin a new series next week called House. It's not based on the TV show. I've never seen the TV show, but I've seen the commercials when I'm watching football. But uh, it's gonna, we're going to talk about our spiritual houses, and we're going to talk about each room of our spiritual house, and we're going to talk about what God wants to do in our spiritual houses in this next year, all right? So, uh, so glad you're here. Invite somebody to come with you next week. Shout out the words of this next song. Let's go out of here excited about who Jesus is, and let's empty ourselves this coming year and allow God to fill us. <laughs>